How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. What a beautiful song and what beautiful truth to those of us who know the Lord and walk with him. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. It's one of the Old Testament history books, and if you're using a pew Bible, it begins on page 303. And I think Nehemiah is one of the unsung heroes of the faith. I've preached before from the first two chapters of his book, and it's an amazing story. Uh, Nehemiah heard the call of God in his life. He trusted God for the provision and for the equipping to make his work a success. And then he stepped out with God in faith. But I, I want us to understand something. From the moment his feet hit the ground, there was opposition. People far and wide were opposing Nehemiah, and they were opposing his work. And I don't want to sound like I'm preaching gloom and doom, but I do want to be honest. We're living in a culture that's becoming more and more hostile to Christians and to the Christian faith. So if you're trying to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you're going to face opposition. If you're trying to obey the call of God in your life, whether it's ministry or missions or serving God where you are, you're going to face opposition. But there's good news. As we study Nehemiah's life, we see how God enables us to face opposition and to overcome it. Now, I'll be preaching today out of chapters 4 and 6. We'll be going back and forth between those two chapters. I'm not going to read all of it. I wish I had time. Uh, but that's your homework assignment. I want you to go home and read those two chapters. I'll be working my way through many of the verses, but first I, I want to give you the backstory, especially for those of you who may not know uh, Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah lived 500 years before Jesus. The people of God disobeyed, and the prophets were calling out to the people again and again, trying to draw them back to God. But they refused to listen, and God sent them into exile, hundreds of miles away from their homeland. And Nehemiah was one of those exiles. He was working in the palace. He was a cupbearer to the king. And one day, God broke Nehemiah's heart over Jerusalem's wall. The people who were living in Jerusalem were in trouble. Okay, without a wall, you don't have protection. And so the people who were living in the city were vulnerable to thieves and raiders and armies that might be marching out. And so Nehemiah went to the king and he received permission from the king to rebuild the wall. And praise God, he promised to supply all of the money and all of the supplies 
that were necessary for the project. By God's grace, everything is falling into place. But there's trouble brewing. There are foreigners who are living in the land. They're making a good life for themselves. Just the way things are. And they don't want to see Jerusalem safe and strong and thriving again. So let me run through this list. Uh, the cast of characters. There's Sanballat. He's a leader of the Samaritans. So he's from the area north of Jerusalem. Then there's Tobiah. He's an Ammonite from the land of Ammon. So that's from the east of Jerusalem. And then there's Gershom. He's an Arab, and he's living in the area south of Jerusalem. So we have all of these different nationalities, different backgrounds, and they're coming from all of these different directions, but they have one thing in common. They have one goal that ties them together, and that's to stop Nehemiah from rebuilding the wall. And that sets the stage for us. And as we read together, I want to focus on this question. How do you and I face opposition in our own lives? And as we look at the text together, I want us to consider the different kinds of opposition. That's where we'll start. The kinds of opposition. And opposition can take many different forms, right? Some of it's face-to-face. -face, some of it isn't. Some of it's verbal, some of it isn't. Some of it's threatening and hurtful and discouraging. And I saw three different kinds of opposition as I worked my way through these verses. And the first one is naysayers and mockers. Naysayers and mockers. So uh, if you have your fingers at uh, chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. And this is what the Lord says through Nehemiah. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? And burn woods at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So I want you to use your sanctified imagination. I, I picture Sanballat and, and Gershom uh, standing uh, near the wall, watching the work as it's progressing. Uh, in my mind, they have their arms crossed, okay? And they've got this disapproving look on their face. And, and Sanballat is talking to Gershom, but of course he's talking loud enough so that everybody can hear, right? I don't know what these Jews think they're doing. Do they really think they can rebuild this wall? Look at the rubbish. Look at the rubble. This is a, a useless thing. And he says... What do you think, Gershom? Gershom says, you know what I think? If a fox 
jumped on the top of their wall, I think the whole thing would fall down. Mocking and naysaying. You know, the tongue is a powerful thing. And if you don't believe me, turn to the third chapter of James. Read a little bit. James will explain it to you. The things we say can bring life or they can bring death. They can build up or they can tear down. And that's what we see with naysayers and mockers. Naysayers are people who only know how to say no. They're full of negativity. They probably don't know you or your situation. They haven't walked with you or prayed with you. But they've got something to say, and it's no, no, no. Whatever it is that God's burdening you to do, they've got 101 reasons why you shouldn't. They're naysayers. And then you've got mockers. Sanballat and Tobiah, they were mockers. Their words were meant to hurt. They were meant to destroy the passion and the excitement that the people had for the work. Their words were insulting, and they were provocative, and they were meant to be. And if you're living for Jesus, you'll have mockers in your life too. I guarantee it. They'll mock God. They'll mock your faith. They may even resort to name-calling. Maybe you've heard some of these. They'll say, you're old-fashioned. You're narrow-minded. You're a hater. They may question your motives. They may tell you to, to your face that you're nothing but a fraud and a failure. Be on the lookout for naysayers and mockers. They're out there. And so are the troublemakers. Troublemakers. Work on the, on the wall was progressing. And when their enemies heard about it, they began plotting and planning ways to stop it. And Nehemiah actually gives us examples of what these troublemakers did. Turn over to chapter 6. And, and this actually sounds like something that you would read in today's newspaper, the kind of dirty tricks that, uh, that you hear about and, and that create scandal. Sanballat. Gershom and Tobiah kept trying to pull Nehemiah away from the work. And when Nehemiah refused and said that the work was too important to stop, they wrote a letter. And this is what it said. Chapter 6, verses 5, 6, and 7. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, these were determined troublemakers, for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gershom also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you were building a wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king, the real king, the one in Persia, will hear of these reports. So now, come and let us take counsel together. 
They made up lies out of thin air. The Jews are rebelling. Nehemiah, he just wants to be king. And then they threaten to send all of this news back to the king of Persia. And as if that wasn't bad enough, they actually paid a Jew, a prophet, and tried to convince Nehemiah to stop the work and to go into hiding. Uh, chapter 6, verse 12. He says, And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, this prophet, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So the troublemakers are working in the shadows. They're unseen. They're spreading lies. They're working overtime to try to discredit Nehemiah and bring the work to a stop. And believe me, the Bible is full of troublemakers. Have you followed Paul's life? Every time Paul planted a new church and moved on to the next city, the Judaizers showed up. And they tried to ruin Paul's work by preaching a false gospel, a gospel of works. And that's why Paul wrote the letter, <clears throat> excuse me, the letter to the Corinthians or the uh, the Galatians to remind them, "Hey, there's only one gospel. You're saved by grace, not by works. Don't be fooled by any other gospel that might be preached." And when Paul was in Philippi, a handful of men had him arrested and beaten and thrown into jail. And then in Ephesus, a man whipped the crowd into a frenzy and there was a riot and Paul got thrown out of the city. Troublemakers are real. We may not always see them, but we do see their handiwork. And then finally, there are attackers. Take a look with me at chapter 4, verse 11. Chapter 4, verse 11. And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Now, it doesn't get any more in your face than that. Their enemies were joining forces and arming themselves for an attack. If they couldn't stop the wall from being built any other way, they would stop it with swords and spears. Attackers don't hide in the shadows. They confront you. And I want to stop here for a moment and remind you that there are Christians all over the world who face persecution for their faith that's very, very real. They face literal swords and spears. They face arrest and imprisonment and torture just because they profess Jesus. Brother Rick shared the story of one of the pastors that we've uh, trained and worked with. Those kinds of persecution are real and we should be in constant prayer for them. Now, I hope and pray that uh, we'll never come under attack like that. But we may. And we may face other kinds of attacks. Attacks on our churches and ministries. 
attacks on our right to come together and worship, attacks that are meant to silence anyone who refuses to accept what the world says is right and true over what God says. There always have been attackers, and the Bible says there always will be. I read a quote from uh, Ray Steadman. He's a longtime Baptist pastor. Listen to this. Whenever a man like Nehemiah says, I will arise and build, Satan always says, I will arise and oppose. Expect it. The man, the woman who is living for God will face mockers, troublemakers, and possibly even attackers. It's inevitable. So we've seen the kinds of opposition that we may face in our Christian lives. The next thing I want us to see is what are the effects of opposition? If we can expect to face mockers and naysayers, if we can expect to face troublemakers and and maybe even attackers, what can that do in our lives and ministries? And the answer is plenty. For one thing, opposition brings discouragement. And we see that in Nehemiah's story. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 6. Here's what Nehemiah says. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So here he's giving us a a snapshot of the work. They've reached the halfway point. Uh, The wall has been joined together, and the people are excited. They're working with gusto and enthusiasm. But then the opposition comes. And now read verse 10. Same chapter, chapter 4, verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild this wall. What happened? What happened between verse 4 and verse 10? Or verse verse 6 and verse 10? It's discouragement. You know, there's a a connection between the emotional and the physical. And these people were discouraged by all of this opposition and they lost their strength. They were weakened. They were fatigued. The work seemed like it was too much. And discouragement affects our perspective. You know, in verse 6, everything's going great. The wall's going up. But by the time we get to verse 10, they aren't looking at the wall anymore. They're looking at the piles of rubble. There's too much rubble. The job's too big. It's too much. Let me tell you a little secret. There was exactly the same amount of rubble in verse 6 as there was in verse 10. It's like the old question, is the glass half empty or half full? Where are you focused? Where are you looking? See, they were focused on the difficulties and the hardships instead of thanking God for the good work that had already been done. Discouragement robs us of our strength and our joy and our ability to see the work of God in our lives. Facing opposition brings discouragement, but it also brings fear. 
after all of the trouble and the threats, Nehemiah gathered the people together, and here's the first thing he said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Nehemiah knew the, the natural reaction to opposition is fear. These people had every reason in the world to be afraid. This wasn't a picket, you know. They weren't out there with signs. They had spears. They had arrows. They were armed. And this enemy of theirs was determined to stop them. They were willing to fight and kill. And the people of God were afraid. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. I've mentioned before that the Bible says over 300 times, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. God knows our fear, and he knows how paralyzing it can be. Fear is really the opposite of faith. If we're gripped by fear, we can't walk by faith. It's that simple. And so here's what happens. We get discouraged, then we're afraid, and then what's the result? The work suffers, right? Look at uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Nehemiah is telling us uh, what the, the enemies were uh, planning, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. So that's their end goal. And you can see the progression here. Discouragement makes us lose our focus. Fear makes us lose our passion, even our strength, maybe even our desire to see the work completed, and the work suffers. See, they started out with a pile of rocks and rubble, and working together, these thousands of workmen working side by side. When they get to the halfway point, this wall is 10 feet high. Maybe even higher than that. But now, now the work's come to a standstill. Remember what we read before, the, the people had been working with all their heart. But because of the discouragement and because of the fear, not a single rock is being lifted onto the wall. Nothing. That's the power of opposition. But here's the good news. I'm here to tell you that God can overcome any opposition that you or I may face. And together I want us to take a look at the keys to overcoming opposition. Keys to overcoming opposition. And here's the first one. Prayer. Prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. When God first began working on Nehemiah's heart, he prayed. Almost everything you read in chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah is a prayer. Nehemiah prayed. He was deeply committed to prayer. And so it's no surprise when he came face to face with opposition, guess what? He prayed. Chapter 4, verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Chapter 4, verse 9. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. 
and then chapter 6, verse 9, but now, O God, strengthen our hands. Prayer is probably the most powerful weapon in the universe. Now, why can I say that? Because prayer connects you to the God who created the universe. We hear God through our prayers. We unburden our hurts and our anxieties and our worries through prayer. We unleash the power of God through prayer. So I've got to ask a question. Why aren't the people of God praying? Let me set the record straight, okay? We're not smart enough to navigate all the twists and turns of life without God. We aren't strong enough to fight all the fights and all the battles. We need God. And especially when we find ourselves face-to-face -face with opposition, we need to get on our knees and pray. We need to seek His wisdom and His strength and His presence. I looked at Spurgeon's commentary on these verses, and here's what he said. Prayer must always be the forehorse or the first horse of the team. Do whatever else is wise, but not until thou hast prayed. Begin, continue, and end everything with prayer, but especially begin with prayer. You know, I can't say it any better than that. We're the people of God, and that means we should be the people of prayer. So, the first key to overcoming opposition is prayer. The second key is trusting God. Trusting God. You know, when the people heard all of these threats that were coming from their enemies, there was fear, right? There was discouragement. But Nehemiah gathered everyone together, and he gave a speech. And here's how it begins. Chapter 4, verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I love this verse. Remember the Lord. We try to complicate things, but it's really pretty simple. God is my source. God is my strength. God is my equipper. Everything comes from God. And so we remember Him. We trust Him. I wanted to share what Matthew Henry says here. You think your enemies great and terrible. But what are they in comparison with God? He is great above them to control them. And he will be terrible to them when he comes to reckon with them. The reigning fear of God is the best antidote against the ensnaring fear of man. If you want to get over your fear, just meditate on the goodness and the greatness of God. Get your focus right. And see, Nehemiah understood that. 
he says to the people, look, you can fight for your homes and you can fight for your families because God's the one who's fighting for you. And what was true 2,500 years ago is still true today. Whatever opposition you may be facing, remember this. God's bigger and God's stronger. This isn't your fight. It's His. So stand strong and trust Him. He's the great and awesome God. Okay, so what's the next key to overcoming opposition? I, I think it's receiving and sharing God's encouragement. You know, just in these two short chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 6, it amazed me how many times Nehemiah was calling the people together and sharing from his heart. We see it over and over again. And Nehemiah rallied the people of God by sharing words of encouragement with them. And you know, anybody really can be an encourager. Just a kind word, a note to say, hey, I'm with you, I believe in you, I'm praying for you. But more than that, you know, in the New Testament, we have the gifts of the Spirit. And one of those gifts is the gift of encouragement. And some of you in the room probably have that gift. And if you know someone who's facing opposition and you have the gift of encouragement, use your gift. Amen? Use your gift. That's what it's for. Be an encourager. Help that brother or sister be spiritually refreshed and strengthened by what God has to share through you. Don't bury your gift. Don't put it up on a shelf. Don't think it's unimportant. I told you that words can bring life or they can bring death. And encouraging words always bring life. So be an encourager and bring life. The next key is keeping watch. Keeping watch. This is in uh, chapter 4. Let me read verse 13 to you. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And then beginning at verse 16, From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side where he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah understood that the work was important and the threat was real. 
So he took steps. He posted watchmen. He made sure that everyone who was working on the wall was armed. And if there was an attack, he had a trumpeter right by his side who would sound a warning. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah understood that this wall, it was more than just brick and mortar. This was a God-given task. The lives and the safety of the people living in the city could only be protected by completing that wall. And I don't think we see our lives and our ministries like that, but we should. Whatever spiritual gift God may have deposited in your life, it isn't yours. It's God's. You're a caretaker, and God's given it to you as a sacred trust. Whatever opportunities God may have given you to serve or share the gospel, you're a caretaker. God's given it to you as a trust. And one day you'll give an accounting. So keep watch. Keep watch and be vigilant. And put your gift to work for God's glory. We should be on lookout for danger. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have a responsibility to watch. That's what caretakers do. Caretakers are vigilant. Caretakers are watchful. They're ready if opposition arises. Because we're charged with protecting what God has given us. Good caretakers keep good watch. And here's the last key that I want to share with you. Keep focused on God's work. I want to walk through this with you. Here's how the story begins. Remember chapter 4, verse 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But then the mockers came. The threats came. There was a huge setback, and the work actually came to a standstill. Then the people prayed. They were encouraged. They trusted God for the success of this work. And look what happened. Chapter 4, verse 15. I'm sorry, it's chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. See, God gave them success in less than two months. This entire wall was built to its full height surrounding the entire city. Was there still a threat? Absolutely. Every day, these workmen went to the wall. There was a threat. But the people of God, they were faithful. And God honored that faithfulness. Ray Steadman, he got it right. Anytime you're willing to stand up and say, I will build, the enemy will rise up too. But God makes us a promise. If we'll cry out to him, if we'll put our trust in him, then he'll rise up too. And what happens when God rises up? Well, let me share what David says. 
Psalm 68, verse 1. God shall arise. His enemies will be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. When God rises up, he's the one who fights the fight. When God rises up, his enemies take to running. When God rises up, he brings victory. As I uh, bring things to a close, I want to ask a couple of questions. The first one is this. Do you have a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus? I'm not, ter- I'm not talking about church going. I'm not talking about having grown up in a Christian home. Do you know Jesus personally? Have you said yes to Jesus. I don't want you to leave here today without meeting the God who brings victory. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's my question. Are you facing opposition? Are there mockers and troublemakers in your life? Is your faith under attack? If so, I want to invite you to come and pray. Remember, that's the first key to overcoming the opposition, meeting with God hearing from God, sharing your heart with God. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come, and we'll have an invitation. Let me ask you to stand. And we'll pray together. Lord, we thank you for this man, Nehemiah. We thank you for his faith. We thank you for preserving his story for us so that we can see what uh, a strong faith, a determined faith looks like. God, we pray that uh, we would face opposition the same way that Nehemiah did. Help us to be men and women of prayer. Help us, God, to... Uh, to put our trust in you. Help us to be encouragers, God, stirring one another up. God, help us to be focused on the work and keep our hands busy at the work of the kingdom. And Lord, in this moment, we just quiet our hearts. We pray that you would speak. God, that you would speak truth, the gospel truth to our hearts, and that we would have the courage, Lord, to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.